So we're talking about thriving even when we doubt. And you have to understand, if you are a person of faith and your faith is real, you are going to struggle with doubts from time to time. Now, the devil wants to use doubts to destroy us, but God uses doubts to affirm our faith, to strengthen our faith as we examine what it is we truly believe and how it matters in our lives. Our text today, it's a famous text. It's it's one that you're probably quite familiar with, uh, but maybe you haven't looked at it from the perspective we're going to look at it from today. What we're going to understand is that God has called us to, to share him no matter what may or may not be happening in our life. You know, sometimes we think, well, I can't share God because I don't know all the facts. I don't know if I want to obey God because I don't know how this is going to turn out for me. I want to see if this is going to go the way I want it to go. And then I'll maybe kind of lean into what God wants me to do. Friends, we have to live by faith. And faith tells us that God is good and that God is right. And that God has power to accomplish his purpose. And his purpose is always good. And that's what we need to share. When we're talking about sharing God, we're talking about sharing good news. We're, we're talking about sharing the, the fact that, that God loves us, that he actually has a plan for us. And all of that is made known, not because of what we concoct or come up with about God, but because of what it says in the Bible. We must always be willing to believe and to share what the Bible teaches about God. And the Bible teaches something, something so wonderful it's really hard to believe. And it's what we call the gospel. And it's, it's described and shown in a symbol that we're using around the world today. When, when we're using the three circles and we're using specifically pictures rather than just words, here's the picture that we use for the gospel. Notice the arrow down tells us that God has come to be one of us. Notice the cross that he's died for the sins of all who believe. And notice the arrow up that God has been raised. Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, we can live in him and he can live in us. And so we get to share this. We get to share not not only as a fact, as as this absolute fact, but also as an experience. As we think through the fact that God's design has been destroyed because of sin and there's now brokenness in the world, and if we will repent and believe the gospel that we'll be saved and be free to pursue and recover God's design, we need to understand our story and share our story in light of that reality. Every one of us who now has a right relationship with God can can tell a three-part story. We can tell about our life before Christ. We can tell about our spiritual birthday, that season. Maybe it was the day I can tell you the moment when I was saved. Some of you can think of a season when you were coming to terms with your own sin, believing the gospel and being saved. And now your new life, you can share how God is now at work in your life. And this is what God has called us to do. He's called us to share him, to share God, no matter what's going on in the world, whether we're happy about it or not, whether we like the outcome or or whether we question it. We, We are always no matter what doubts are plaguing us, to be a people who trust and obey, who walk with God and share the hope that we have. That's what thriving people do. Remember what thriving is? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. I want to to leave that up there for just a moment. Read that sentence in your heart. Just read it. Friend, are you experiencing an intimate, life-transforming relationship with God? Is it intimate? 
Is it changing you? Are you content to obey God even when you do not understand or agree with what he's commanding? Are you truly trusting the outcomes of your life and the outcomes of the lives of the, of the people you love? Are you truly trusting that to God? Or are you still under the illusion that you're in control? Are you still trying to fight that fight to make things the way you want them to be? Friends, if you're thriving, let me tell you about your life. You are free of anger. You are free of anxiety. You are free to walk by faith. You are are able to love God. You're able to love other people. You're you're able to, to see God's hand and to know, even when you can't see the effects of God's hand, that he is working, that he has a plan. Now, just because you're thriving, that doesn't mean that you're not going to doubt. God is going to allow things that are going to cause you to doubt. And he does that so that in a real way, you and I will grasp the attributes and and the reality of who God is. Now, our text today is important. It's a very important text. It helps us understand that we can trust two fundamental attributes of God. His divine wisdom and his divine justice. Our text today, it's a different one for this genre of scripture. It's it's prophecy, but it's not a prophecy. It's not a proclamation of God to a people. It It is a story about a person. And this story about a person is given to us so that we can learn what not to be. This story is given so that we can learn what not to do. This is a prophet who doubted God's wisdom doubted God's justice. This was a a person that that we need to study his life so we can learn what to avoid and and how it is we can share God even when we doubt. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's now go to the book of Jonah. Let's go to the book of Jonah. We're going to start in chapter four. We're going to begin at the end and we're going to work our way around the text. We're going to have for our reading verses one through two. So Jillian, why don't you come up Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And we're going to look at, she's going to read for us, uh, uh, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Jillian, go ahead and read that for us. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting in disaster. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated. Thank you, Jillian. Pray now for the preaching of God's word. You know, there are many who doubt the historicity of Jonah. Our our modern minds find it difficult to imagine a man being swallowed by a big fish and surviving for several days. But make no mistake, Jesus understood that Jonah was a real person in real time. As a matter of fact, it's important to remember that Jesus made it clear that Jonah's rescue from death provides an analogy for his resurrection. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 40. It's also important to recognize that Jonah was mentioned in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath Jonah had a ministry. He was an actual prophet. He was an actual person. And he was preaching uh, reluctantly uh, to the Assyrians, happily to his people, about 40 years before 
the northern kingdom, what we know as Israel, was destroyed by the Assyrians that God was calling them to preach to. And what we see happening at this time was the, the fact that there was a king, his name was Jeroboam. You'll, you can see this in 2 Kings 12 later. He was one who was described as one who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was not a good king. And yet the nation was prospering. As a matter of fact, Jonah had prophesied that the nation was prosperous and he was very proud of that. He, was, he loved his country. He loved his people. He was very proud of his nation and he was, he was wanting to stand for them and he was so glad that he was able to say, God is with us. God is going to do great things. And so even though it was a, a very prosperous time, it was a very spiritually dark time. Because not only was the king, but the people were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Jonah, having, having said, hey, look, God's with us. He gets this weird call from God. He said, God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to the enemies of your beloved nation. And I want you to preach to them. Now, it's interesting because God tells Jonah, go and preach and tell them, you people are going down. Now, you would have thought that a guy like Jonah, who hated the Assyrians, would be thrilled to preach that sermon, to go to the people he could not stand and laugh and say, you people are going down. But Jonah knew something very special about the God that he was preaching on behalf of. He knew that he was a, a God of grace and a God of mercy. And he knew there was a highly likelihood that these people would turn from their sin and that God would bless them. The reason why Jonah knew that is because here he was in his own nation where the people were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Jonah witnessed firsthand the restorative compassion of God extended to his own wayward people. God knew that, I mean, Jonah knew that God was full of compassion and grace and, and, and that was his concern. He did not want the Assyrians to be blessed. Interestingly, he also knew that the Assyrians were very open to the message he was coming to preach. He knew that they were looking for a message. See, there had been this strange eclipse of the sun that, that had not been predicted, that wasn't, wasn't supposed to happen, yet there was this strange eclipse. There was also a famine, and there was a lot of infighting going on. And so Jonah knew that the people were very susceptible to receiving an outside message because things weren't going well and going right in their own nation. And there were these strange things that were beginning to happen. Now, the story of Jonah is pretty well known. Let's go over it real quick. Go back to chapter one. Let's, let's, let's kind of peruse this for, for just a quick bit. So what you see in, in, in Jonah chapter one, verses one through three, is you see Jonah's commissioning and his flight. And one of the things that you'll notice is that Jonah keeps going down, down, down. That's what happens when you disobey God. You keep going down. And so he comes into this situation where he's with these pagan sailors, verses 4 through 16 of chapter 1. And they, they don't know what to do. Here's this massive storm. They, they do what Jonah tells them to do, then turn around and ask for repentance. But the, the fish, of course, comes and swallows him. And so you see in verses... Uh, chapter one, verse 17 to chapter two, verse 10, there's this wonderful prayer. There's a grateful prayer. Now think about those three things that happened there. And now look at how they're juxtaposed beginning in chapter three. So now in Jonah one, one through three, you see his first commissioning. Now look in, in chapter three, verses one through three, there is a 
recommissioning. But this time, rather than Jonah fleeing, he complies. He obeys. And and notice the response, uh, Jonah and the pagan Ninevites. There were pagan sailors, and now there are pagan Ninevites. And then instead of what we saw in, in the third part, Jonah's grateful prayer, what do we see? We see Jonah's angry prayer, the first part of we just read. And then this really interesting ending. Go to the end of chapter four. Chapter four ends, the the whole prophecy ends in a very strange way. There's really no ending. Look at verse 11. It's just a question. God basically saying to Jonah, shouldn't I show compassion to these people? And there's no response. Leading a lot of commentaries to say and, and, and and to believe that Jonah Jonah went on angry with God. As a matter of fact, one commentary, here's how they describe this entire event. Jonah, the prophet who hated God. So what what was Jonah's problem? That's the question we began with with the preaching team on Monday morning. What's Jonah's problem? I remember this book is about Jonah. This is a weird kind of prophecy. This is not your typical, you know, prophet book. I mean, it's about the person, which tells us that we need to learn something about this guy and we need to acknowledge his problem because God, the Holy Spirit knew and gave us this book because we would be like him. There's things in Jonah that are in all of us. Jonah's problem is maybe our problem. See, Jonah didn't trust that God was going to do what Jonah thought was best. How many of us are today living in fear and anger and anguish because we're, not, we're just not sure about God? We're just not sure that he's going to do what we think is best. We're not sure what he allowed to happen was best. We're just not sure Remember this, always remembers this. When God acts, he always does what is right. In other words, he always does that which is in conformity with justness. In the Bible, justice is distinguished from mercy and grace. If we were to be treated by God according to his justice, we would all perish. That is why when we stand before God, we plead that he would treat us according to his mercy and grace. Jonah was all about mercy and grace as it pertained to him, but not so much as it pertained to his enemies. Can I tell you that God has been very gracious and merciful to me? And I was reminded of that. After 33 years of pastoral ministry, there are times actually when, when I can even be tempted to think, you know what, God is, God's been good to me because I'm a pretty good guy and because I, I, I try to live my life to, to honor God. And that's not true. And I was reminded of this just a couple of weeks ago when someone from my past who knew me before I was a Christian wrote on my Facebook page. She said, I noticed that you quote a lot of scripture. She said, I find that strange considering you're the worst person I've ever met. Now, to her defense, she knew me before Christ, B.C. And I will tell you, as I've told you before, I was a horrible person. And I don't know this person, but I am certain that her testimony is true. Now, I love the fact that many of you begin to defend me. 
and, and you, you don't know what you're talking about. He loves Jesus. You need, you know, just, I was, thank you. Thank you for all of you who, who are, and I, and so what I did was I said, look, I said, I'm sure everything that you feel about me is true, but you need to understand that I am, I'm proof that, that God is real because he changed my life and he saved me from my sin. She immediately deleted the post, but then she sent me a direct message and she said, thank you. I wish only the best for you. But that whole encounter made me laugh. It made me smile because what it reminded me of, of what a horrible sinner I once was. And the, and the justice I deserve is to be condemned for everything I've ever done. But instead, I am forgiven. My sin is as far as the east is from the west. I have a right standing with God. And he has been so good to me. Now, she believed that I was a person incapable of being repaired, rescued, or made right. You know, some of you think that about yourself. Some of you think that about people you know. Maybe they're friends, maybe they're enemies. Some of you think that about your marriage or your family. You think this is irreparable. God can't fix this. God can't overcome what's been done here. Some of us sort of believe that about our country, but can I tell you, our God is a God of miracles. Our God can do what we cannot do. I am, again, proof of what God's grace is capable of doing, of completely transforming a life. And friends, whether we agree with God or not, whether we like what's happening in our life or not, whether or not we're filled with doubts because of the devastating loss or the difficulties that we're facing, we must always be able and willing to happily obey God and share his gospel, to share what God has done, to share the power of God that is at work in the world. And that's what thriving people do. Thriving people are not people who've got God all figured out getting everything they want. Thriving people are people who are intimate with God, who obey God no matter what, and are trusting outcomes to God's capable care. So what do thriving people do? They don't do what Jonah does here in chapter four. Let's go to chapter four, and let me show you three things to take note of, and then a fourth as a comparison. First, thriving people share God's gospel and avoid being driven by anger. They avoid being driven by anger. Now, now look, at, look at verse one of chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, what was he so mad about? Go back just one verse to chapter, to three, chapter three, verse 10. The people repented of their sin, just like Jonah was concerned that they would. And what did God do? Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. He gave grace. He gave mercy. Friends, we should not think that, that God's grace is cheap. God's grace and mercy is very expensive. Don't ever forget it. God is just. God is going to hold everyone accountable for their sin. But not everyone's going to ex experience the accountability. Those who have trusted in Christ to take their place and have asked Jesus to forgive them of their sin because of what he did on the cross, we are free from the condemnation that our sin rightly deserves. Understand how expensive that was. When Jesus was dying on that cross, don't ever forget this. 
He was suffering because of our sin. Don't ever forget the anguish, not just physically, but emotionally. Remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And then he died. The the Holy One, the Eternal One, the Almighty Promise died for our sin. It's the greatest gift that's ever been given. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is wise to receive this gift. The Ninevites received this gift. And they celebrated the gift. It is wise that we receive this gift and that we celebrate this gift. And the more we celebrate this gift, this gospel, the more we will love it, the more we will trust God, the more we will be able to overcome doubts, the more we'll be able to walk in the way that God designed for us. God has given us this great gift. And friends, it's not just just for when you get saved, it's for the rest of your life. It's a gift that drives and guides you the rest of your life. I'll never forget this. Years ago, when uh, the iPhones came out, a friend of mine uh, got his dad an iPhone for Father's Day. And he sent it and called, you know, did you get your phone? Yeah, are you using it? He said, yeah. So a couple weeks later, he shows up, it's July, and he, he, he sees his dad pull out his old flip phone. He said, dad, where, where's the phone I gave you? Aren't you using it? He said, oh, yeah, I'm using it. And he said, well, where is it? And he pointed outside where he had some paper and he was using it as a paperweight. He said, dad, do you have any idea how expensive that paperweight is you're using? So he, he got it, he plugged it in, showed him how to plug it in. He turned it on and, and they sat down and, and for an hour he showed him all the things. And this was the old phone. It, it didn't have very much of the cool stuff that it does now. But he was amazed with what it had on there. And all of a sudden he got excited. He thought, you know what, I could use this every day. And he said, duh. You know, since then he's gotten almost every new phone that's come out. And, and he doesn't drive anywhere without that phone telling him where he's supposed to go. He, he looks at his calendar every day. He has messages going in and out all the time. That, that's how he lives. He's living by his phone. Friends, we are called to live by the gospel. The gospel tells us how to take steps in life. The gospel tells us how we're to feel. It's a message that goes in and out of us every single day. And it gives our life meaning and purpose. And it fills us with hope. Friends, if if you're only thinking that the gospel is for non-believers, you don't understand the gospel. Remember what the apostle Paul said, Romans chapter one, verses 15 through 17. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm eager to preach the gospel, he said to you. He's going to preach the gospel. Notice that these are believers. He's going to preach the gospel to believers. Now, there's a lot of Christians saying, well, why would he preach the gospel to believers? They already believe. Because the gospel is for believers. 
The gospel tells us who we are. The gospel tells us why our life has meaning. The gospel tells us how good and gracious he is. The gospel allows us to be free. Sometimes life doesn't turn out the way we want it to. And that may happen because of our sin. You know, when you look at the three circles and you see the brokenness that we we all experience in life, it's from sin. And if it's from your sin, you need to repent and believe the gospel and be saved. If it's because of the sin of someone else, you need to believe the gospel and receive the forgiveness that God gives and forgive the person who has sinned against you so that you can be free to pursue and recover God's design. Either way, it's the gospel that will set you free. And then live in that. Understand that God's plan is different and and, and we won't always understand it, but he's always gonna do What's best? This week, Asher and I were mad. We had a plan. We were going to do something. It got canceled because someone else, uh, something someone did. And, and we were both mad. We were angry. And, and after a minute, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Because I, I was thinking about this sermon. I know I was going to preach to you people. And so I was just saying, I said, Asher, wait a minute. Maybe God is protecting us from something. I said, really? You think that? I said, I, you know, maybe. So uh, we were uh, in line to get some fast food and, and somebody cut me off. At McDonald's, and if that was you, I want you to know, I was angry. And I started, I started looking up imprecatory psalms that I could pray over you. Those are curses, by the way, if you don't know what that is. And Asher said, Dad, wait a minute. Maybe God has another plan for us. I said, boy, don't you preach to me. <laughs> oh, don't you hate it when your kids are right and you're wrong. Jonah was wrong. Jonah was wrong. And his doubt in the goodness of God and what God was doing in that moment led him to be driven by anger. Friends, don't live your life being driven by anger. Second, thriving people share God's gospel and avoid being driven by spite. By spite. Verse two. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's mad. He didn't want this blessing on his enemies. You know, we're a nation filled with spite. You know, you got Republicans just can't stand Democrats. And if the Democrats gets, get credit for something good, they're spite. And vice versa. They, want, they don't want anything good to happen in the country unless they get credit for it. Have you noticed that? That's spite. We see it in the sports. Now, I love a rivalry as much as anybody. You know, I, everybody was asking me about, you know, I played football at MTSU. Were you upset about yesterday's game? I didn't leave anything but five broken ribs and a knee in MTSU. I don't care nothing about that. But rivalries, you know, you think about Alabama and Auburn. I don't know if you're familiar with that rivalry, but whenever Auburn wins a football game, they, they go to a place called Tumor's Corner and they throw toilet paper in the trees. Well, some crazy Alabama fan poisoned those trees a few years ago out of spite. You know, there's spite in healthcare these days. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I have heard people who have not received the vaccination say, I hope that person who got the vaccination gets sick just so everybody can know it doesn't work. This week, 
someone was quoted as saying, someone who had received the vaccination, said of a person who hadn't, I hope he gets sick and he can't do his job anymore. That's spite. We are a nation filled with spite. Jonah was a man filled with spite. He was spiteful not only towards Nineveh, but also towards God. Friends, we've got to be really careful about the issues. The issues that we're allowing to make us so spiteful. Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We might need to think through our priorities and ask, what does it profit people if their political party, pandemic rules, or personal plans are gained, but they lose their soul? Don't let spite drive your life. Third, thriving people share God's gospel and avoid being driven by bitterness. And Jonah was bitter. He was so bitter he wanted to die. Oh God, just take my life. I'm just going to take my ball and go home. I just, I don't even want to live anymore. Because he couldn't have what he wanted. Because life wasn't going to go the way he wanted it to go. He decided, you know what? I don't even want to live anymore. Friends, be so very careful that you don't stake your identity and your hope on a created thing. Because sooner or later, you will lose it. Bruce Goodrich was an 18-year-old that was entering into Texas A&M. And he was being initiated as, uh, into the cadet corps. And one of the things they used to do is in the middle of the night, they'd wake him up and they'd run him until they collapsed. It's just an orientation. Well, he finally collapsed, but he died. 1984, he died. Never took a single class. Some weeks later, his dad wrote this letter. I would like to take this opportunity to express the appreciation of my family for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University and the college community over the loss of our son, Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him in the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed during his brief time on campus. I hope it will be of some comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in the matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer will be so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. This is a man who had his eyes on heaven. This is a man whose hope was in heaven. And even when he lost his son, he did not become bitter. He did not become angry. He did not become spiteful. Friends, don't let bitterness drive your life. Don't be a Jonah. And let me say this. You you might be a Jonah if you refer with contempt to a group of people as those people of a different race, political opinion, vaccination policy, or economic or social status. You might be a Jonah if you hope someone will fail and suffer. You might be a Jonah if you think God is wrong and you're right. You might be a Jonah if you're disappointed when someone you don't like is blessed. It's no way to live. Don't be a Jonah. Instead, be a Paul. Last thing, real quick. Thriving people share God's gospel with gratitude like Paul. Like the Apostle Paul. Let me ask you to do something. After you write that word down, set everything down and close your eyes and bow your head and just listen. Close your eyes and just listen. Can you say this of yourself? This is... Paul writing to Timothy, 
I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Right there, ask yourself, are you a grateful person who's been saved by grace? As a person who's been saved by grace, can you trust God and his plan even when you don't understand it or agree? Can you embrace the hope that you can have even when you doubt of sharing God with love? Not if you're living without Christ and not if you are refusing to obey. If you don't mind, let's stand together. I'm going to ask our spiritual care leaders to come forward. And as they do, let's pray. Father God, you are gracious to all who believe. And Lord, there are many here today, many who are listening. They're being very tempted by their doubts in you to to live as angry, spiteful, bitter people. But Lord, you have more for us. And it's possible only through the gospel. So I pray for some today who need to come and speak to one of these leaders at the front or maybe just come and get on their knees and speak directly to you and ask for for your forgiveness and ask for you to give new life and ask for them to be saved. Father, some here are saved. But Lord God, they've taken their eye off of heaven. They're frustrated. They're disappointed. They're hurt. They're angry. Spiteful, maybe. Bitter, maybe. And Lord, they need to be reminded today and they need to submit today to the fact that you are a good God, can be trusted even when we doubt, even when we're struggling. So God, would you today, would you meet us where we are and transform us and bless us? Lord, I pray for those who need to come forward that they would come forward and talk to these people who love them and will care for them. Come and ask for you to do a miracle, to do a work in their heart or the heart of someone they care for. All all for your glory and our blessing. Bless us, God. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.